Welcome to Profiling Criminal Minds. I'm Dan. And I'm Dr. Redmond. And we are here to talk about Wire in the Blood, which, along with a little something called Cracker, is considered the uh, two tentpoles of British shows about profiling. Yep. Uh, so this is uh, largely remembered fondly by people. And I certainly remembered it fondly. You recently rewatched the whole thing to get prepped for this. I didn't, so I'm going to be watching them as we go, which should be fun. But yeah, I'm, I've got some pretty fond memories of this, so I hope it uh, lives up to those. Fingers crossed, right? Yeah, well, let's hope for you. I mean, I watched the whole thing in, you know, a while back, right. like a few months ago. And uh, all I can say is that I was very unhappy with the end because it ended on a cliffhanger after the fourth or the fifth or the sixth season. And, and then uh, they just stopped the show. So they, prepare yeah. to get frustrated by that, everybody. Yes. Yes. Just prepare. But there's lots of, there's lots of stuff in between, but it was very frustrating because of the way they did it. And um, so what can you say? We've never seen what happened to Tony. Ugh. But Always anyway, frustrating. but you know what? We'll get there. Okay. Yes. Just, I just want to fill in some good news, that good news, bad stuff. Those of you who listened to our last um, podcast, we were both in a, in a state of confabulation because what had happened, I can tell them, right? Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. Because we had been invited to the set of, of criminal minds yeah which is uh, you know so and the email had just come before we had started started and then the following friday uh i did my deadline opened up and they were making everybody indoors in california where all movie and tv production you had to start wearing your masks again and then I started looking at the numbers and the numbers in California were really bad, 6.7. So I was already going, oh, a little I'm concerned, better. quite uh, understandably. Concerned. Do I really want to get on a plane? <laughs> to um, a plague zone? Yeah. 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 You know, and I mean, I'm also talking about I would have flown out of Kinchelo or whatever it's called now, Chippewa International. I would yeah. have flown out of the States, which is also another plague zone in Chippewa County. So I'm going, mm, I was already thinking about it. And then the sad news came this week, this past week. That they're yeah. not doing guests on set because of COVID. So uh, we were looking forward to it. And we hope to have some delightful set visit news, but it's yeah. not going to happen because, well, there's a plague on. Yeah. And, uh, and pictures and, it would have been really nice. We would have set up. Oh, some absolutely. We would have punches. loved to, you know, meet everybody. Uh, try not to get punched. That would have been <laughs> the fun part, avoiding getting punched. Uh, <laughs> trying to figure out what to say to the showrunner. <laughs> exactly. How are we going to be? Uh, how are we going to be diplomatic? Uh, if and when we meet the showrunner, it would have been. It would have been an entertaining experience for all, and I'm sure it would have led to some entertaining stories. But tragically, COVID has. Uh, has foiled us in this one small way. Now, that's not to say that we are the most wrong done by COVID. It nope. would be insane to suggest that. But yes, we too have been uh, lightly <laughs> foiled by COVID. 
well, we'll push it off to the, I mean, maybe, hey, I maybe they, know. maybe they do season 17, right? They do season 17. And, and maybe I'm things sure. will have calmed down by then. <laughs> and, and with any luck, we'll be invited back. But I mean, it's just only going to get worse because the summer and. Yeah, I know. It's going to be going into the fall and then everyone starts going indoors and they, we get another wave in the fall to winter. So yeah, it's. It's a bad situation. Yeah. It's funny. So anyway, I uh, I took my first at home COVID test yesterday. I'd never done that before. I came back from the woods with uh, like a terrible case of mosquito sickness. Which, if you don't know what that is, basically, if you get bitten by a lot of mosquitoes and you have an, uh, the right kind of allergy, it essentially gives you the flu, and it's <laughs> real bad. And it can last for a couple of days. And of course, with COVID, I mean, I knew I'd been bit by a bunch of mosquitoes, but with COVID going around, better safe than not safe. So I took yeah. the at-home COVID test and it was a firm no, you don't have COVID, which feels great. Yep. But, you know, and I feel almost all better today. So, yeah, just watch out for the woods, people. Mosquitoes are the worst. And if you're going to go to the woods, find out when the mosquitoes all die in your uh, in your area where you're going to the woods. And then arrange to go to the woods two weeks after all the mosquitoes are dead. That's going to be my little vacation pro tip for you. Yeah, well, it's just, and it's been a particularly bad damp, mosquito season. Damp, yeah, a damp season, yeah. and it's great for my flower garden. Uh, however, it is really bad for things like mosquitoes and oh bugs god, yeah, the damp and no, it is. Uh, okay. It has been a bit of a nightmare, but you know what? Uh, I'm feeling better now, and I hope to keep that going. All right, and so. To the mermaids sing. Yeah. All right. So here's the thing. We're going to just rip this Band-Aid off right now. Because uh, we're going to be talking about it. And there, there's no way around it. There's no way to talk about this without talking about it. Because I sure as hell forgot this was the first episode. I knew really? it was coming. Didn't remember it was first. Uh, Killer's a trans woman. Yeah just it's uh, another buffalo bill situation i will say it is handled uh, much better much better than it is in <laughs> silence of the lambs but yes. killer's a trans woman and there's no way around that and the show deals with it with as much dignity as it can yeah but there's some unfortunate stuff in here that's gonna make people uncomfortable and <sighs> That's the crazy part about this episode, that it's like, were it any other episode in the series, if you're planning to watch Wire in the Blood, I'd say, you know what? Just skip the episode where the killer's a trans woman. Uh, but yeah. it's the friggin' first episode. So you'll have no idea who Tony Hill is, what his deal is, you know, like what Carol's deal is. Like so much important character work is done in this episode that you kind of have to watch it if you yes. want to watch the rest of the show. But at the same time, God, like we have come so far with trans representation so quickly that this show is going to look in some ways. I'm not going to say it's full on look monstrous, but just the casualness of the way Tony Hill is like, you know, how could you have uh, how could the killer, you know, be a woman, but still have all the strength of a man? And I'm like, Jesus. Oof. This is yeah. this is rough to watch. No, is it really the first two episodes? It's the first episode. This is yeah, the first no, episode of the show. On, on Prime. Yeah, on, it's on Prime. Prime. It's listed as episode 101, The Mermaid yeah. Sing. 
the mermaid singing. It it's um yeah, it is very uncomfortable. Now I'm just trying to see. So season one was what year? 2002. Yeah. Okay, so it's 20 years ago. It is. And we have to take that into account. Yeah, we're we're making a lot of caveats for Oof. this show for the first this first one. Yep. Um, I haven't read the book partly because I watched the show first and then I just went I don't think I really want to <laughs> I don't want to read the books. I get it. Um, but uh yeah, it's done 20 years ago. Um, it The only thing I could say for it, like it's going to be very uncomfortable for a lot of people this show. So if you can, you can kind of skip through. Well, it's really hard to skip through anything. Um, there is a type of homophobia or transphobia or whatever. It's really homophobia. Yeah in the police department that is that, kind of that, i mean it's important to the story about uh like they assume that it's a get like the the villain the villain right is this trans woman and a lot of the characters are assuming right away that this is a gay serial killer targeting gay men that is the assumption the police go with and there is a yeah an ingrained homophobia in how they act now that is not the show's position the show indicts the position okay. of the police but it yeah. is depicting that it, it, it behavior does of the depict it. uh tony um uh, just ignores like yeah. just looks at people like they're crazy like why would you think that and understand they do not know it's a trans woman yeah for the vast or, majority of i mean it's literally the last piece of it they discover. Yeah, the last piece. And Tony comes up with, but even they don't figure it out. The audience knows before, before the, yeah. the, uh, the one killer. And it's only Tony finally figuring it out that who, you know, who would men open a door, door to? For. Yeah. Yeah. And it would be a woman. And so that would make it a trans woman and, as he says, completely and totally, she has gone through the entire process. Yes. And and I will say that in some ways it is set up, the show itself, this is just to get everybody prepped, but yeah. the show itself, the issue is not killing gay men. No. Like 100%. Like it, yeah, like the... This is the good thing about it, yeah. that what happens is, is that the assumption is, right, that there's internalized homophobia, mm -hmm. right? And this man is just, you know, like we got so often in Criminal Minds. Yeah. God almighty, did we get we it. Get that a few times in Criminal Minds, yeah. And that is, that idea is put forward often by the police and the rest of it. Yep. Uh, Tony gives some consideration, but to doesn't like it. Yeah, he doesn't. He's he never probably, likes that theory. No, he never likes it. He says, ah, I don't know. There's something else going on here. And so what you find is that, yes, that it is actually incidental that the killer is trans. Yeah. That that's just an incidental thing that has confused and messed up everything. Yeah. 
um, that the attraction is to homosexual men is kind of um, not fully, I don't think, ever explained other than it was part of her community when her was he. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Okay. So these were sort of men. As a member of the queer community. Yes. Before transition. Yeah. Uh, she was around a lot of gay men and that is who, that is, that is who she was attracted to. And, and there is, and there is a certain amount of self-hatred going on because the yes. specific, all of the specific crimes being committed are really grotesque uh, punishments for, like, tortures and punishments for sin. Like, yeah, well, uh, the, the killer has created yes. a trial by ordeal. Yeah, and the the strange thing, of course, is that this goes, is, is, got those, again, religious overtones. Oh, absolutely. As, and, you know, I mean, the funniest thing in is, is it when, so your mother didn't let you cook the, lick yeah. the. Decorate the cupcakes. Decorate yeah. cakes. And that is the, uh, you know, this defining thing, because. Uh, this, this woman was never allowed to be a woman. And so now she has turned like this one element, this tiny element of it never being allowed to decorate cakes because it wasn't a manly activity into transform the, the cooking <laughs> into a, part of the torture implements. Those tiny little cake decorating things are <laughs> what she uses to stab people with and rend flesh with. And uh, yeah. yeah, those are, I mean, there's some sharp metal in there. So I get it. Like the nozzles for, uh, check out the nozzles for an icing bag. They, they will have some sharp ends on them. Particularly if you want to get those fine little points and stuff. Exactly. So yeah, like it's, that's, that is the thing that the uh, character has fixated on. Like this one tiny piece of her life yeah. was being kept and from doing this. And it's like, it became a signifier of all of the ways yes. she wasn't allowed to be herself. Yeah, we call it the screen. This, this. Well, it's a signifier. It's the screen memory. Yeah, that stands out. It's the memory that stands out for all of the other memories. Yeah. Now, and what's know, interesting, yeah. what I, what I find interesting there is the show. I think it doesn't get into her backstory beyond that point, but no. I think you can say it's implicit that there was a lot of physical abuse to try and to use what I'm sure what they went through is beat the quote unquote gay out of their child. I am. I, Oh, like I, that is implicitly what was going on in that household, whether or not the show says it. Because we do not get much from her perspective. No, no, no. But it's all Tony hypothesizing. Yes. Right. And, um, so it, it is, a, and we're telling this up front so you know what you're going to <laughs> get into when you watch this, what you're going to get into, because it is... I, did, I don't want to ambush people with the stuff in this episode. No. For, I no, think, very clear reasons. Yeah, you don't want them. I mean, once you understand, first of all, uh, it's and it's not as if all of those issues aren't playing out particularly south of the border. Oh, I know. Um, in, in Britain, though, it was, I mean, there was always, uh, like, 
England, one day we should just do an episode on on sexuality in Great Britain. And how unbelievably <laughs> messed it up it is. Like, so the funny thing is, and I'm sure I, I might have mentioned this on the show before, but it was the funniest thing, right? Uh, so um, Florida went through this thing with, I mean, is currently going through it now, where they're being run by a fascist. And he has the the law that makes it so it's a crime to to acknowledge that gay people exist. You know, like I know it's it's disgusting. The man's a monster. I mean, that's not the point. But it's like everyone is horrified by this, right? And so, utterly coincidentally, I'm watching an Alan Moore interview, right? And uh, he's talking about you know his his life and his work and you know stuff he worked on, and he just casually mentions, and this is an interview from 2012. But it's like, what you got? And he's like, the climate we were working in was that it was literally they had Pat Thatcher had, you know, put in a law back in the 80s that made it illegal to mention the existence of gay people in by teachers in schools. So it's like it was it was literally criminal to mention like you could be fired from your job as a teacher if you mentioned that the concept of being gay existed in schools. And I'm like, oh my god! And he and he mentioned like, and that law didn't get repealed until 2005. <laughs> so he's like, because he was using that as an explanation of the climate that all of this stuff was being written in, as he was trying to do queer positive stuff in the 1980s, yeah. but like with a whole generation of youth that was growing up, like not being able to told and thinking there was something criminal about it. So it's like, and that is what like. All of the kids who grew up under that law are now the monstrous turfs of England. Right? Uh, and it's like, so that's all where that comes from. And as you say, there's a, there's a whole other episode just about the psychology of that and just about the history of that. Because it is distinct from the American, the North American experience. Like, there's plenty of, uh, there's plenty of reasons like for uh, to, for us to be ashamed of our treatment, especially in educational settings, of the gay experience, but in England it is it is historically so much worse. Yes, but but here here is the point, right? Yeah. In the eighties in Canada, the United Church, mm -hmm. right, not only not only allowed openly gay people to minister, yep. But ministers but they also allowed them to be to be married within the church yep even though it was not legal within the country with like it was not you couldn't do it in the country but it was acceptable particularly since they said if you accept someone's sexuality as the the way they were born then you cannot expect them to become ministers and be celibate because yeah. that is antithetical to everything about the Protestant movement. I mean, it's like, it's so weird because our government, it's this weird situation where the United Church was ahead of our government. Because uh -huh. it's like, these were not legally recognized marriages, but the United Church would still perform them. Yeah. And they would baptize any children mm -hmm. and the rest of it. There was no, there was no issue about those. There was within the church. Well, of course there was discussion within the church. But um to get I've there. talked about that before. But anyway, this is it, it is so strange. And we went a different way. We legalized marriage sooner than just mm -hmm. and in England, once they sh shifted, 
they shifted pretty quickly. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But it's so bizarre because how in, I mean, every, I mean, but I, never mind. Yeah, but anyway, I, I, so we're coming at this from a bit of a weird place, and you have to understand that the history of England with these issues is very strange and very different from what you might be used to. Yeah, and yeah, not only that, but it's just different from every other place because it was clear they've had men dressing up as women forever. Yeah, they had their noted homosexuals, you know. Oh, like, I know, and, and you know. No, I mean my favorite is Noel Coward, but yeah. uh, what's his face? You know the the um, Dorian Gray. Yep. Um, oh yes. Uh, oh God. Um, Oscar Wilde. Oscar Wilde. Right? Yeah. Exact same thing. <laughs> you know, and it's so bizarre because it is always, always, and it was always. It was there in Agatha. I mean Somerset Maugham. May we borrow your husband? I know. <laughs> It's a short story you could go look at. Like it, it, it is it's so always there, right underneath the popular culture. And it's in the popular culture. It's just that there is a part of the culture that has always, and what that part of the culture is, is the part of the culture that has expanded and taken over America. Yeah. And exactly. uh, yes, and uh, now we have a woman. Uh, I think we don't want to talk about this because we're talking about other things, but there's a woman in Texas who is now going to go to court because a cop pulled her over because she was the only person driving in the uh, multiple person lane. Right. On the, on the highway. Yeah, the carpool lane. The carpool lane. They yeah. call it something like HOV in uh, Texas. And, um, and she said, no, there's two of us here. And she's through. She's oh, 30. she's pregnant. And of course, Texas has said for the purposes of law, a fetus is a person. Yep. So she's going to go to court to argue. But she's allowed to use the carpool lane. Oh, my God. I put it on my on my Facebook. Yes, because there a were two. Disaster. Well, no, I mean, legally, she's like under the new laws down in Texas. She is legally 100% correct. I called it unintended consequences because the police said no. It means two, two, two people, two separate people. Doesn't say that. Oh, so they're not set. So the fetus isn't a separate person with its own rights. Yeah, Good so to know, cops. Not... <laughs> uh, no, but I mean the poor cop. I feel so sorry for that poor cop. Yeah. You know, and I don't think uh, anyway. So we'll we'll see. But yeah, be careful what laws you make. So let's get back to. All right. So yes, uh, what we're saying is. It's a lot of complicated stuff. So anyway, uh, men are being murdered, they're being tortured to death, and they're being laid out uh, naked in a uh, in a crucifixion pose. Yeah. So the religious overtones are clear to everybody right away. And they assume that the the police don't want to admit that this is a serial killing uh, because the cops don't want to investigate crimes in the gay community because of... Explicit, the explicit homophobia of the police. They just don't want to deal with that at all. Right? Like, they, they have no interest in solving crimes related to the gay community. And if you think that's outlandish, uh, I mean, it literally happened in Toronto. Yes. Like, a guy was just murdering pe- men in the gay community for years, and everybody said, there's a serial killer running around. 
and the cops refused to investigate it and said that, you know what, gay guys just stab each other all the time. Who cares? Uh, so yeah. yeah, this, this kind of thing happens. Look into the story of John Wayne Gacy and you'll find out that this kind of thing, it just happens. It's disgusting, but it's, it is the, it is this, you know, the ultra masculine, ultra macho, the, um, you know, underpinnings of the whole police environment, whether it's men or women who are the police officers, they're all living in that culture and they refuse to even engage with gay communities. Like it's, oh, it's it, despicable it's, and it's disgusting. And the, and the, and this, this bears out in a number of these scenes. Yes. Because once they're forced into dealing with this mm-hmm. as a serial killer and um, I, I mean, bringing Tony in, is uh, part of what, because the chief of police decides this is a wonderful idea yeah. to bring it. And that, that's the interesting thing is that the, uh, the local governor, you know, the guy who runs the detective division doesn't want to admit there's a serial killer because he knows it's hard to catch a serial killer and he doesn't want his stats to look bad and he doesn't want to look like a failure. So he just yes. wants to not do his job, basically. Yes. He would rather just not do his job and, you know, assume that these killings are going to stop whenever. Carol, uh, who's our main character, DC Carol Jordan. Um, I don't know what DCI stands for. Detective, constable, inspector, whatever it is. Detective, constable, inspector. Who, whatever it is. But anyway, Carol Jordan, right, who's our, our basically the co-main character of the show, yeah. right, wants to bring in an expert on these types of crimes. And she goes to see Tony Hill our wonderful main character, other main character, uh, who gets introduced in one of those scenes, uh, the same way they introduced, um, oh God, uh, Tara Lewis, in fact, the scene where you're talking to a serial killer about their crimes. Although, in a very entertaining little twist, uh, the woman that he's talking to is so bizarrely delusional that she imagines her that she is the one interviewing Tony. Yeah. And he is using that delusion of hers to get her to expose stuff about herself. It's a very fun, very well-written scene. Yeah, well, it's it's yes, and it will continue on. Oh, yes. We will solve the problem of that yeah. serial killer. Because there is a problem with her. Yes. And her Which, children. She yes. murdered children and she won't tell anybody where they are. Yeah, nobody so- will. She won't say what she did with the body. She won't say where they're buried. And so Tony's got to keep going back to see her in the hopes of getting closure for all of these people, for these uh, missing and yeah. dead children. Yeah. So, in, and it, never fear, this is British television. This will be solved. Yeah. It's not a, uh, it's not a, God, I hate to say this, womb raider situation. Oh, God. Oh. That terrible, terrible, like, I mean, mean, it's Criminal Minds doing the exact same story as, uh, as this episode of, uh, well, no, as the series did, it's just doing it worse than Wire in the Blood. Uh, Well, every time you can come up with, with a point of comparison, just assume that Wire in the Blood did it better. Just assume, yeah. yeah. That just a safe assumption that Wire and the Blood did it better. We talked about it in Criminal Minds, but we are putting this, I, we almost put should put this up on Thursdays. On the I Criminal know, because it's so close. I mean, yeah. hell, when I uh, when I first started doing the reviews, you can see this. 
uh, I said that like the two poles of whether you used profiling to solve a crime were one Harry Callahan and ten Tony Hill. Uh-huh. And now everybody is going to understand who Tony Hill is. Exactly. Like so, this <laughs> is like this has always been part of my conversation with the criminal minds. Like part of the conversation has always been wire and blood. Yeah. Like it has Ten, always been something I have been using as a touchstone. Yeah. Three and a half years later, we're finally going to explain just who Tony Hill is. is. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's a great way to introduce the character. It shows him in his element. It shows him, you know, doing a good job and it keeps you a little off balance mm-hmm. because the first way we see Tony and I think this is very important for where the show is going to go and how the show treats him, and even specifically how this episode ends, is you're meant to think, oh, is Tony a murderer? Yeah. Like, that's the first thing we're supposed to think about. him, And yeah. that is a great way to introduce the character, considering, you know, the rest of this episode and where the show goes generally. It's actually a really good way to start off the show is, oh, are we are we looking at a murderer? And the answer is, well, we're going to have a conversation about that later. <laughs> Yeah, that's um Yeah, you know what he is. He could he could be a, you know, uh there are so many similarities in some ways to Spencer Reed. He is. But he is. Yeah. We'll talk about that as we go along. He is except- or even Tara Lewis who we diagnosed as a sociopath who is just not, you know, who has found a way to shoot people that the government will let her get away with. Yeah, so yeah, Tony Hill is is an inter it's an interesting character. Yeah. He is very self-involved. Oh, absolutely. We see him with his students. He's a university professor. Mm-hmm. And he's written a book. It comes up in this episode right away, right? Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. man who wrote that book, you know. And so what? You're gonna write another book? You're gonna become famous again? You just <laughs> wanna become famous. Yep. That's why you're involving yourself in this. And of course you see the press, um, you know, you know, Oh, so you've brought Tony Hill in. Oh, so is this a serial killer? We're just no asking him to consult. Yeah. No, it's all very well handled and it's all very believably handled. All these early scenes of getting Tony in investigation, the push, the pushback from the cop and it doesn't feel, you know, contrived or like you've seen these uh, scenes a thousand times before, I think, because like they so they do a, such a good job with such a small amount of screen time of dealing with the inside the police department politics of bringing in this consultant and wanting to seem like you're in control and wanting to seem like we always know what's going on. We don't need outside help, like how they would want to refuse help just because Anything that compromises their authority makes them look bad. Yeah. And then you have um, one of their own detectives making them look bad by leaking information to his girlfriend, who's a reporter. Yeah. Oof. Kevin and, uh, yeah. He's the one who right away is sure that it's, you know, just a gay guy, serial killer. Like, he's right on board with the serial killer thing right away. But he's also certain that it's a gay guy. And that's oh, the uh, his, his attitude towards anyone. Oh, I know. It's terrible. Is just only second. No, first, the other guy is, is oh, yeah. the second. He's a little exactly. more. He's a little more. I'm like, he's still uncomfortable, but he's 
around gay men. Yeah. <laughs> and he has to go in and be, he has to go undercover. <laughs> oh, I know. To try and find a, uh, a possible, <laughs> a possible guy. And the thing is when, and that is their, that's their best idea. Go to a gay club where, you know, go to a gay club and look and see if people are talking about the crimes and see if anyone's cruising for a victim. And they find a guy who is unbelievably creepy. Yes. Who is, you know, who has this level of violence to him and loves talking about these murders. And it's like, you, it makes sense why they look at him as a, as, you know, prime suspect. Yeah. It like doesn't, he, it doesn't seem as if it's. As if uh, they're just profiling. Oh, well, here's a gay guy. Let's grab him. Yeah. they. Yeah. That's exactly it. It's not. At least it's given some context. Mm-hmm. He, is, he is interested, but it's that opening scene that's so funny with, with the uh, bondage. I know. <laughs> bondage bar, of course. Yep. <laughs> On top of just being a gay bar, it's a bondage bar. Well, I mean, and that's naturally where they would go to look because the crimes yeah. have been so related to these bondage. elaborate torture fantasies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and of course they assume that, you know, in the S and M community, the S and M quadrant of the gay community, that's, if somebody's going to know this guy, that's where you're going to find them. So it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it is profiling and it is making assumptions, but they're all perfectly logical assumptions to make. Yeah. And, and you're giving context for it and you can see how uncomfortable yeah. the police officers are with doing this. Oh, Absolutely. They're just so uncomfortable with the gay community entirely. Like they just, they don't want to know about this stuff. Yeah. And this, and as I always, I mean, this stuff takes guts to portray, particularly even in the year 2000, it Mm -hmm. takes guts to portray it. Let's face it. Criminal minds never did. No criminal minds only like had a much smaller percentage of gay serial killers than is represented in the actual you know, numbers of gay serial killers and criminal minds never had the guts to go there. I think how many gay serial killers can we even talk about? We've got, you know, Adam, the, the trans serial killer. Right. And the the guy down in uh, Florida. Uh, yeah, we got the guy down in Florida who murdered, um, the guy who was, you know, based on that movie loose, uh, based on the movie taking lives who killed junior's partner. Right. And we got the gay conversion guy. But like, is that it? (laughs) You know, we've got. Yeah, we'll go and we'll check the files. But I'm like, is that it? No, no, because we did discuss this. There are voices with homosexual topics of any sort, any queer topics, period. I mean, queer. What do you mean queer? (laughs) That word doesn't even exist in criminal minds. I know, right? Um, it's like I know you've you've got Penelope there, you've got Reed there, yet the concept of queerness just doesn't exist on the show. Yeah, and even when they do, even when Penelope does her dark queen, yeah, you know, it's just like, what? Okay, really, nothing about this performance seems very camp and almost draggy to you. <laughs> you know, come on. But yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's something that the show was always scared to engage with. And to its credit, you're right. Uh, this show is not scared at all to talk about these issues. Yeah. And remember the law hasn't changed in England yet. I know. (laughs) 
Uh, but yeah, so they they corner this guy, and it's going to be this thing where they they they're assuming he's the killer, and they want to do the cop thing where they, uh, well, not necessarily rough him up, but you know, get very intense with their interrogation. Uh, but spoiler alert, he's not the killer. Yeah. No. Nope. And, and what happens point. then? Uh, it's worth mentioning what happens oh. to that guy. You want to take it from here? No, I don't because oh, okay. I'm not remembering. Uh, yeah. Uh, let's just say like, uh, is, is he not the one that kills himself? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. geez. Yeah. Oh, because, yeah, because there's all these problems and everybody thinks he really did it. Everyone assumes he so did it. He's publicly it. identified and, uh, and because of, course, of it's Kevin's because leak. Kevin has leaked. Exactly. It's yes. because Kevin has, okay, yes. Okay, I have to go back. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still stuck in horrible criminal. No, it's fine. Okay. So, yeah, you're right. And then, and it, and the backlash is so bad. He kills himself mm-hmm. and they are, you know, and even, but Kevin doesn't even, you know, and they know someone has leaked. Yeah, but Kevin and, doesn't confess. He says to his girlfriend, no more information. He cuts her off and all that, but he doesn't confess that he leaked. No. And you know that his partner suspects. Yeah, you know that his partner know suspects. Sure. Yeah. And when his partner does find out, mm-hmm. he's him with this reporter, right? Yeah. He, he then just uh rats on his partner yeah he does do the right thing yes he does because that guy killed himself yep meanwhile uh the things have been massively amped up because uh a cop gets killed next yeah they take a cop and and we are preparing murders a cop we're preparing for that because this killer has been taking pictures of yeah. him. Yeah, we've been seeing POV shots yes. of the videos that the uh, killer makes. Yes. Right. The villa, uh, killer walks around with a video camera all the time filming men and looking for her next victim. And yeah. we've been watching this footage throughout the whole show. And it turns out that one of the guys she's been stalking is a cop. Yes. And so when this cop turns up dead... Everything gets amped up to eleven in the investigation. It becomes more desperate. Everybody gets more freaked out. Like the like, it was already a big priority to solve this case, obviously. But now it is all hands on deck, and Tony is suddenly, you know, there is a lot more focus on him. You know, why aren't you solving the case? Now, what is he doing here? What is he contributing? This is all just a media circus. We have to get this guy. And, of course, so Tony has to go off and look into some stuff on his own. And this is where he starts theorizing about... This is where we get into the theorizing about, okay, well, who would you open a door for? Who is so easy to... Who is so easy to... uh, Who is so easy for someone to... Men to assume that they are safe with. Because it's like, none of these men were in fights. So how were they abducted? If they weren't gay and they weren't being cruised, what what was happening? And because that was the initial assumption that these guys were being cruised and they were going off with a man and then getting, you know, waylaid. But as Tony assumes that that's not this guy's profile at all, that it is not the actions of a gay man, well, then who would they open the door for? How, why would they not put up a fight? They're all strong guys. Yeah. And he's like... And they're this, all... Yeah. yeah. And so he's like, this feels like a woman, but how could she have overpowered them? And that's what gets him on the... 
the trans thing. Oh, also they need them but to be, you know. It takes them a while to get there. It does take them a while to get there. Also, they follow a lead, which is that uh, it's an interesting lead because the killer sends the the police an animation that they made of their torture devices. And Tony quite understandably says, because this is 19, like this is 2002. Like it's not easy to make these elaborate animations of things. So he's like, who would even have the ability to do this? And they were like, you need a $10,000 computer and you need to be expert enough to know how to do it. So it actually, the very fact that she sends this little gloating video massively narrows the list of people it could possibly be and is one of the key things that gets her caught yeah well there's still and a fun note uh one of the people on that list of people with access to this equipment and uh right and the skills to use it is carol's brother yeah Yeah, who you know for a living yes who does this stuff already brought him into she's brought him in because he can because what she says is he can help because he knows how to do all of this stuff. Yeah. And Tony's like, yeah, what if he knows how to do this stuff? Cause he's the killer. <laughs> yeah, And of course, poor Carol, cause Tony doesn't think in terms of relationships and people. And yeah. in that yeah. sense, again, right. He just is so self-centered lit- and so yeah. Uh, off up. base with normal human reactions to stuff that he doesn't understand why Carol's going to be so offended that he suspected her brother and didn't tell her about it. Yeah. (laughs) It's just like, (laughs) Uh, I can think of a couple reasons, Tony. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But yeah, you know, he'll learn. Well, sort of. Kind of. The thing is, is that you do watch him though, that the way he does his thinking. Yeah. And he, has this um you see him with one of his graduate students mm-hmm. working through some of this material and there's the great scene where he goes to the um the the place where one of the bodies were dumped and he yeah. just tries to and he lies down where the body was left in this mud just to try and see what was it like being that person lying there and to try to imagine what it was like being the person looking down at the guy yeah. they left lying there. Like, it's all very well handled. Yes, but you can see that he gets so involved in all of this. And he is, he he definitely is completely wrapped up in his uh, ability to turn himself into somebody else. High level empathy. empathy yeah. You yeah. know, this idea that he can actually eventually feel and he and he talks to himself yep right all the time he's talking to himself almost as if he's talking to another person and we're not saying he has did but he he empathizes to the point where he is like imagining a conversation to make it easier to think this stuff through yeah and it's it's fascinating because you see him i mean this is where why this is considered one of the great texts texts for profiling what he does is he sits on a chair as himself and then he gets up and he walks across and sits on the chair where his where his imagined version of the killer is sitting 
Yeah, version of the killer is saying who says then says something, and then Tony goes back to yeah, and it's all it's all very theatrical, but it plays really well. Yeah, that's basically because Robson Green is so good in this show. Yeah, and all of the by the way, just for the record, all of the performances in these episodes are magnificent. These this show are magnificent, but Robson Green's on this whole other level. Oh yeah, I mean, and you can and. And what I, I keep thinking about is the writing, because you always have this problem of internal monologue. Yeah. When you have books. internal monologue in books, it's fine. Mm-hmm. And this is what I say is a problem for Reacher. But yeah. with, with Robson, right, because Jack Reacher is always thinking to himself and working things out. Well, but in this case, because we're looking at psychological and profiling and imagining it works and they found a way to take it out of his head mm-hmm. and put it on the screen so we can see what he's doing in his head by creating a person who is constantly talking to himself out loud anyway. Yeah, it works. It just, I mean, it, it sounds more awkward than it is when you watch it. Like trying when to describe it, it makes it seem clunky and it's just not. It just is not. And he has the problem of living alone. Yeah. So when you live alone, those of you who don't, if you are a thinking person, you often do think out loud. And then you go out and you start, you do it, right? In public. And you're like, oh, wait, no, this is weird. This is not how people are supposed to do it. Back into my head. Back into my head. Yeah. Yeah. And that's Tony's problem. He, you know, works things out and things will pop into your head. Those of, I mean, anybody knows things pop into your head sometimes out of the clear blue and you wonder where it came from. With Tony, he just mutters it out. Yeah. So Tony has figured out in in one of these mutters while he's been cut off, he figures out that it's got to be a trans woman. Like it's all, it's the only thing that makes sense for the amount of evidence that they have lined up. Like this is Wait a minute, but what we've missed before oh. that happens. Okay, we've got to talk oh, about gosh. the the police the precinct captain. Oh yes, of course. We called in the US. Okay, and like in New York or something, right? And he goes out and he plants. Mm. This is what further causes that guy to commit, commit suicide. Because that cop plants evidence. Plants. From the cops, yeah. Plants evidence from the cop's house in that guy's place. Because they're like, we're sure it's this creepy guy. And uh, and he invites Tony Hill to come and discover it with him. Yeah. And of course, Tony knows it was planted. And Tony's sure that this isn't the guy. And so now they're in this really rough situation where are we going to do the normal cop thing of just saying, good, we got somebody that's good enough. Yeah. Or are we actually going to report this guy? Yeah, and um, so they don't, they let the guy go. Yeah. Um, and the cop gets suspended. Mm-hmm. And then the cop, of course, the precinct captain, the cop there, decides that he's got his allies, of course, in the police department. So he keeps following this guy around. That yeah. just yeah. to give his further motivation for why he committed suicide. Yes. He's following this guy around and harassing him, and he's convinced, as are is as is sort of Kevin, the yeah, other yeah. cop is not his partner, is not as sure. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and they try to send the the uh, police cop home who it's just it, it it's a really good depiction of how this because this young cop was um very much a special recruit yeah for this police captain sort of a friend like a friend you know the child of friends and things like that and so it was um it it is believable but that is just to give a further reason why this man ended up committing suicide yeah. and everybody has to take the blame for that and um other than tony and carol carol yes. listens to tony um sometimes <laughs> always but so sometimes. enough enough i think it's safe to say but enough yeah she's willing because they've got nothing else if they don't listen to tony He's the only one that's coming up with anything that is remotely useful. Yeah. Because all of their old ways of looking at homosexuality or queerness is, aren't get, isn't getting them anywhere. Yeah. So yeah. it has to be different. And it has to be, I guess, a little bit stranger. Oh, yeah. 100%. And and so they're all out and they're doing things and then, and they're going after people. They're starting to track down because, um, the usefulness of narrowing down who had the computer ability, yeah. all of those things are in motion. You can see the cop stuff going in motion. And then all of a sudden, Tony, because he's still, he's at home and he's been thinking off. about this and going yes. over this. And he's like, and I know. All of a sudden it hits him. And he phones Carol. Yes. And he tells Carol. And he tells Carol what he figured out. Yeah. But then, then just then, who's at the door? <laughs> his doorbell is ringing. So he says he's going to go answer the door. And it's this woman. Yep. And his we car has broken down voice. and needs to use his phone. And this is the exact ruse that was used with the cop. So we know yeah. who it is. Yeah, we recognize Tony doesn't know who it is. No. And um, so, really, really good transition. Really great. So Tony gets abducted. Tony gets brought to the uh, the dungeon, and the the machine that they want to put Tony that she wants to put Tony in is this thing to pull your arms behind your back and pull and like hold you in midair on the strength of your arms, and then. At a at a certain point, you release a series of weights that pull even harder and basically dislocate your shoulders or tear your arms right off your body. And Tony is, I'll say this for Robson Green, he was game to just be like fully naked and hanging from ropes for who the hell knows how long it took to shoot that scene. Well, this is Rada. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's all... <laughs> ladder training will yeah it'll get you there you'll you'll do whatever once you've been through the uh royal academy of dramatic arts <laughs> oh my god wow oh uh, but yeah. anyway so it's a great scene yeah it really is it's a great scene he gets tortured and this is this is where we get the scene that kind of separates tony from so many of the other ilk and so well written, so well acted. So while the cops are tracing down and looking for everybody and they find who the, like, they find one of the names on the list matches that it's a trans woman, right? Yeah. 
uh, matches that it's a trans woman. So they they illegally break into it. They don't yeah. have they don't wait on a warrant. They illegally break into her flat. And um, Carol's just like, look, if we find Tony, that's going to be all that nobody's going to care how we got the information. Right. And you know what? I'm sure she's right about that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. if we find him alive, nobody's going to care how we got here. Yeah. And so they're uh, they're looking. They find who it is. They're looking for property she has access to where she could have built a torture dungeon because they know they're be based on what was done. They know she has to have a torture dungeon. So yeah. it's a question of where was the, you know, where, where was it? And so, you know, they track down and they're looking for and they find a proper, a family property that she has access to. Meanwhile, while they're doing all that, we're getting the scene of Tony talking to her and it is fantastic. Yeah. It's just uh, such a well-written scene. He's he's basically figured it all out and put it all together. Mm -hmm. He moves from anger to, um, you know, compliance and to taunting. In other words, yes, you know. So am I because he is a psychologist? Because he understands, like he is, he knows that this woman is attracted to the men she kills and yes. needs violence to be part of it. And all of these men reacted with fear and begging, which isn't what she wants. And so she kept picking stronger and stronger men. And that's why she picks a cop. It's like, I'm going to find a man who isn't too weak to do what I'm into. Yeah. And that's why she keeps getting these buffer men and then goes for a figure of authority. And so Tony profiles that like, well, my only play here is to go into her delusion. Yeah. Right? To go into her delusion and just essentially convince her that I'm attracted to her. And convince her that I can put up with all of this torture. Exactly. That's that's the key. Like how oh, that but, I'm oh. just as much into it as she is. Yeah. And, and it's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, you just have to I mean, he had to be pretty sore after that. Oh, no. Every time, even if it, he didn't get his arms ripped off or anything, it's just like... Oh, my ah, God. Ah. He must have been sore after doing this. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. You know, and so, I, like, and it's this beautifully written and beautifully acted scene of just Tony convincing the killer that this is his thing, too. Yeah. And he plays it so well that the audience is left wondering, does Tony have a death wish? Yeah, does Tony have is this a, is this a Spencer Reed situation? Yeah. Like, is Tony getting off on being a serial killer's victim? Yeah, you you actually have to wonder that. Yeah, like then you that's know, this is how well how done. How about an introduction it? to a character? To a character, right? And this is yeah. the first episode of this guy. Yeah. You know, and, uh, like you know, and, and the they didn't get Will Graham there in the first episode of Hannibal. No, but they get Tony Hill there in the first episode of Wire in the Blood. Yeah, because that's the closest he is, is to the uh, Hannibal's Will Graham. Will yeah. Graham. Not not the books, Will Graham, the show no. Hannibal's Will Graham. Yeah. Who when, when we finally get around to talk about Hannibal, we'll have a lot to say about Will Graham. Believe me. Yeah, well, Will is, uh, yeah. <laughs> and that was, and remember, Hannibal is after this. Oh, much after this. And I, I know, and I'm, I, I can absolutely believe 
that Hannibal could be considered to be in conversation with Wire in the Blood. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't surprise me if they considered that an influence, because there's there's stuff here that does make you think about their conception of Will Graham. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And so there he is, you know. Yeah, he so could... he, uh, he seduces the killer, and yeah. then He's... while she's distracted, he clonks her over the head <laughs> with his shackles. And goes to uh, cut himself loose and grabs a pair of scissors to, you know, uh, murder her if he has to. And just then the uh, cops show up yeah. to rescue him just in the nick of time. Of course. Well, but yeah, crucially, <laughs> and what I love about it is, crucially, do not kill uh, the murderer. That's right. She gets out alive, allowing us to end the episode with Tony back having a conversation with the killer yep back doing what he's most comfortable doing and her name is angelique yeah you know just in case you wanted to get the religious stuff a little harder <laughs> yeah just in case you missed it the first time i know or the right second time, yeah. or the third time uh but yeah so they they really again it's it's such a good pilot yeah like, it really is. Like, it tells you everything you need to know about Tony. Like, you're so fascinated by this creation. You're so amazed at, like, the lengths he goes through to capture this woman. And while there's stuff in it that makes you uncomfortable, I think it is it is as tastefully done as it could be. I yeah, really it, feel like it is. Mm. No, but I, I, at the end of the day, I'm not allowed to make that judgment. I'm not part of that community. I don't get to judge that for them. But I really do feel like, yes, it's depicting as a trans woman as a serial killer, which isn't great. But beyond that, it is a very understanding of gender dysphoria. Dysphoria. And I think you always have to remember, right, that... <coughs> That there are always, like, it's, I mean, you can watch things, there are always going to be things no matter what, like, if you're a woman, or if you are um, any kind of racialized minority, yeah. there yeah. are going to be depictions that, that parts of them mm -hmm. are going to be problematic. In this case, um, and as I would say, yes, but there are trans women who are serial killers. It, there it has happened, yeah. Women, women who are serial killers. serial killers. There are, you know. Uh, but in this case, well, it came from the book. It did. Right? So, um, and I, not having read the book, maybe that's another one of those booky things. We might want to check out at some point, yeah. Um, but it is, uh, it was a stunning performance. And, Ultimately, um, whoever played the trans woman. It's it's uh, a great performance. Yes, it is a it is a great performance, and it's a great performance right to the end. So like, here's what I'll say. Um, and I know like I'm not gonna we're not gonna go back and rewrite this as much as we do with criminal minds. But for my personal thing, I think okay. what would have made it more palatable and made it easier to digest is if and I know there's no easy way to put this in the episode because we don't spend a lot of time with the killer. Like, yeah. we do, but only in the POV scene, right? Yeah. And we don't get a scene, we don't get a full scene of Tony interviewing her. 
No. What would be great is if they had found a way to make it clear that the obsession with torture and the obsession with pain being around sexual attraction had originated in the fact that in her childhood, she was beaten by her parents whenever she expressed her gender. Yeah. So if her, yes. if her gender expression had become intrinsically lo uh, locked in her mind with vicious abuse from her parents, I think it makes it much clearer that the, the murdering, like the, the murderous behavior is not a function of the fact that she's trans, but a fact that her nature was brutally beat, attempted to be beaten out of her by her parents. If they had done that, I think a lot of the things that are problematic in this episode are suddenly a ton less problematic. Although, again, I don't get to make that judgment. That's just my take on it. What do you think? Um, I would agree with you. I'm No, in my head, what I'm trying to do is think how you would integrate that in. I'm not sure. In the how episode that we're already. Yeah, I know. It's tough, um, right? And maybe that, hell, maybe that's in the book. I don't know. Well, yeah, and there might be more in the, yeah, well, then again, you know, there we go. I mean, take a look at Angels. Yeah, look at how much a better job they did in Angel of Darkness. Although even there, as we talked about in our episode about the book, they missed the key thing that would have explained the uh, the, the full, the entirety of her madness. Yeah, we, we changed the book. We changed, yeah, but it's like you have to change two scenes in the book and it's perfect. Yeah. So, you know, you're kind of, you're kind of not having read the book. Did the book integrate some of that into More it? Clearly. Um, maybe. And I would say too, now here's, here's the thing. This is one of the first, uh, lengthy and involved, um, portrayals of a serial killer that on, on, in TV, for example, or, yeah. Like, I'm trying to think back. What do we have before that? I of a guess. trans serial killer? I mean, again, just Silence of the Lambs. Well, this is what I'm trying to say. Is, yeah. is like I'm thinking about this and going, okay, so where else? We've got Silence of the Lambs. Um, and that movie was problematic. And Hannibal is this bigger-than-life character. The thing about this serial killer is she is um not a gloater she's not a Hannibal Lecter at all no. it is she is obviously functioning with a regular type job yep she is living a regular type life although yeah, most of the time um so you know, you're going, okay, um, I don't know how you would have, where, in at least- Where you would have put it. I know. So, and that's, that's the issue. It's like, where do you put that scene? Where do you put that content? And I honestly, I don't know. That's why I'm not going to say, like, when we're, when we're rewriting Criminal Minds, we can just say, oh, well, you just put this scene here, this scene here, and boom, you're done. Or you just add a, you can add another couple of minutes and some conversation to this scene. Boom, you're done. Whereas this one, I don't know. 
like they chose to focus on the impact on on people of wrong identification yeah and and that whole media thing mm-hmm. which is which was also good oh yeah right so you i mean that was a positive tony might have had to have come up with something like that and i think tony only got as far as mama wouldn't let you bake. I, I'll get it. I'll get you a solution. You want a solution? Yeah. I just come up with it. Okay. Have the killer take off her top and have her torso be covered with the same scars that she put on the other body because her mother damaged her with the cake tools. There, done. There. Done. Just did it. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> I've okay, successfully rewritten this episode. Yeah, okay. And that would be, yes. And and expose them to Tony and they would all be there. And Tony, and Tony would-, would 100% know everything 100%. that was going on with her just then. And that would be the final clue for how uh, to make him understand that her sexuality is intrinsically wrapped up in violence and masochism and sadism and brutality. And it would give him that final piece he needed to break her down. So yeah, if if she took yeah. off that top and revealed that she was covered with the same scars that she put on the guys. Yeah. And make it clear and have Tony have a line about that's what your mother did to you or your father did to you. Boom, done. Yeah, that would work. I was thinking, yeah, that's... Um, yeah, that's how you fix that it. Would be, because it reminds me of the situation with the three faces. No, the... Um, uh, uh, the oh god, the other book. Um, what? Patty Duke. Patty Duke, I think, plays Sybil. Sybil, yeah, yeah, with the multiple. The mother, right. the mother, the torture that the mother and the sexual torture that the mother, yeah, um, performed on this child from the time she was a baby. Yep. Is um, and how hard come by that is, and how. You know, because everything would go along with it. Nobody would have stepped in. Mm -hmm. Um, The whole thing uh, you could have made. But this is not interested in making that kind of a political statement. No. But yes, that would have solved the problem. That would have made it. It would have made it clear that her sexual identity, like every time she tried to express who she was, she was tortured. And so that is why like her sexuality has become completely bound up with this kind of monstrous physical torture. Yeah. Like I'm trying to think even the eighties and the nineties, when I think about understanding, um, I, I, when, when I started and I know that's really the nineties when I think of some clients and because most of them were gay, um, and if I were today, I can think of some different things that I would. Now, how do you, how do you, how do I say that without sounding, but that I would have in the back of my head as, um, as points of, um, as developmental cues 
for the client that's sitting in front of me that has certain of these, shall we call them sexual dysphoric? Yeah, characteristics. Characteristics and having a hard time not only dealing with them, but getting over them and being willing to kill themselves rather than deal with them but there are there are things that like i'm trying to think because this book had to be i don't know when val mcdyer when val dyer diamond wrote this wrote this right but it was still pretty you're dealing with just the surface stuff the obvious stuff that's all i can say you know when um and when i can think of one of my clients who was the youngest and just wanted to spend time with his mother and understanding that and with this massive religious fundamentalist background at the same time as a bunch of his brothers are in the hell's angels oh you got a complicated and then it turns out that uh, his grandmother was a ran a whorehouse in Halifax, and oh my god, and a whole bunch of other things. And I'm just and her his father grew up in that milieu. Yeah, right. Um, I'm going. There are things I might have done differently. Yeah. Like, of dealing therapeutically with things i think i i mean i can't say that i did a a rotten job or anything else no and, but there's there's information you always would have like would have liked to have yeah that if i had had certain but at that time no we're dealing with basic crap yep and and abuse and knowing that some of this and this was just uh, sexual identity, basically gay or straight sexual identity issues mm-hmm. for the most part, very few. Like I had friends who were queens. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I had one client who was, I had, who had gone, had partially transitioned. Right. So I, I mean, I've had, it's, it's really funny. No wonder we're all, <laughs> but all of these people I've known for for a long time. But when I think about when I was at university and nobody, I mean, nobody in the seventies talked about in the late Mm sixties, really talked about being gay. I know. I mean, that's the thing. It was all completely verboten. No understanding. Like, it's really hard today for people to understand just how transitional all of this. I mean, I had to even sort of work through the idea, like, and dismiss the whole Freudian, the whole societal concepts related to um, whether one, whether it's biological or choice. Like today, like my grandchildren, for example, wouldn't even question that. I know. It's amazing. I was I was literally watching the OC last night, and it's like the shock and horror that characters have. And I mean everyone gets accepting really fast, but everyone's shocked at the concept of bisexuality. And this is a show from two thousand and five. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so you're you're talking you're talking about transition and I can remember 
And I can remember talking to Neville. That's my my therapist, yeah. right? You know, working through some of this because once I started working with um, it, with people with AIDS, right? Yeah, and yeah. therefore being even more involved in the gay community. The theater gay community is different than the than than this gay community was. They were mostly off the street. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say. And a few of them weren't, but that's another story. Uh, it, it, it was, and I can remember, but I mean, Neville just was, well, they're born that way. It wasn't even a question. That's the end of the conversation. You don't was, like, we don't well, have to have a conversation about this. This is what it is. Yeah, no, no. I mean, but I'm sitting there thinking, talking to him. And I said, yeah, I said, well, you know, after, after, you know, and in and one of my best friends, but even he, you know, it's just, it, you know, and I can remember, like, I, I didn't, I never thought twice about it exactly, mm-hmm. you know, but I can remember, man, well, yeah, you know, so-and-so is a homo, homosexual, and I'm just going, well, and then, okay. or so, yeah, like some of my professors, not, they wouldn't say that, but some of my professors, I was in the English department, right? Yeah. In the seventies, you know, and I can remember my first husband being so uncomfortable, and I never understood why. Yeah. Like yeah. in in English functions, like departmental functions or something, and just uncomfortable. And um, never dawned on me to be uncomfortable. But then, when I looked back, yeah, you you go, and then you just go, yeah. But if you can already tell, you can just tell. Yeah, then yeah. obviously there's something different in oh, yeah. the biological pattern. Yeah, if you know right away. Yeah. You know, maybe you don't know right away with everybody, but... There's some for which you do. And then you're like, well, they sure as hell aren't getting that from the media. You know, they sure as hell aren't being conditioned to behave that way. So where is this coming from? Well, there's obviously a biological component to it. And if yeah. there's a biological component to it, then people are born that way. And if they're born that way there's that's the end that's the end of the conversation that's the end of the conversation you just stop talking about it now they just are let's move on yeah and so i never i never really thought about it i mean look at me like i was uncomfortable around the concept of gayness as a regular you know north american male conditioned to hate gay people (laughs) by all media in the 80s and if you don't know it was like growing up in the 80s jesus christ we were conditioned to hate and be suspicious of gay people like you couldn't get away oh. from that. And then Even you worked at AIDS housing oh. and there's a friggin', you know, uh, completely uh, very, very effeminate gay or bisexual, depending on, uh, you know, what stage of his development he was going through guy around the house all the time. And suddenly I'm like, oh, OK, they're fine. <laughs> <laughs> I've been lied to my entire life. Gay people are fine. <laughs> yes, as I said. And even before that. I was bringing, yes. Yeah, no, there were always gay people around. That's my point. There were always gay people. But it's like, but when, when, I mean, I don't think Gary would mind me saying his name. Once Gary was around all the time and I was hanging out with a gay person all the time, I'm like, oh, okay. Like, no, the media has lied to me my entire life. Yeah. Everything has lied to you all year. Yeah, everything has lied to me my entire life. There is nothing different about gay people. There's nothing strange about gay people. And that was, I mean, it's like, but like, it is hard to get over the amount we were trained to other and feel contempt for gay people. Disgusting. 
if you go back yeah, and, and watch media from the 80s. Yeah, it's like, like I, you're yeah. watching Lethal Weapon and just it's a perfectly fine movie about, you know, cops murdering special forces guys who are dealing heroin and then completely out of nowhere people think how just a drive by, well it's super disgusting that this woman was in a relationship with another woman. I'm like, is it? Is that what you're focusing like? Why did you have time to bring that up? Action movie that has nothing to do with this. Yeah. No, and that is, that is, and you can see that, right? Like, and I watch earlier stuff, but this is something about being brought up with television in the 50s and the 60s. Yeah. Okay. That you didn't, you didn't have, and the 70s, even the early 70s. It wasn't talked about. It wasn't talked about, and you had no overt, no overt negativity as because such. Because it wasn't talked about at all. Yeah. Barely, it was barely, right, ever, ever. Yeah. Although you did have, you know, you did have Eve Arden, you know, who was in uh, the, 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 the principal in, uh, in, um, what? American graffiti. <laughs> right. Right? I yeah. think, no, no, Greece. Greece. Greece, that's it. Greece, yes. Greece. But, and I think that, yes, some of it was negative, but when I think about it, I never thought about it because Liberace. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I often talk, I mean, you know, I when I'm watching my. Um, Gomer Pyle, for God's sake. I know. Gomer Pyle being as openly gay as it was possible for someone to be in the 1960s. And, you and know, he, he just never hid the fact that he was gay. Well, yeah, he could never, he sort of had a girlfriend at one point. At, at one point, but it's like everyone who worked there knew he was gay. Like, and all of the tabloids were like, is he married to Rock Hudson? Well, tabloids, that was later on. I know that was, it was the 70s. To, you know, <laughs> that was the 70s, but still, like, yes, he had a girlfriend, but he didn't try that hard to hide the fact that he was gay. It's a very... Like oh, the, not with Gomer Pyle. The no, Jim I'm Neighbors talking. thing is very... Oh, no, no. Rock Hudson obviously did. But Jim Neighbors, like, it was no. very fascinating, the fact that he was this this trailblazer. He had an, like, what, an, a CBS TV show. And, you know, he had this partner, a lifelong, you know, lo- quote-unquote longtime companion to reference <laughs> the the show, the movie of the same name, right? Uh, but yeah, this longtime <laughs> companion that he was with the same guy for 40 years, basically his whole life. Yeah. His whole adult life, you know? It's, it's a it, fascinating it, it, story. Yeah. But anyway, all of this has been in service of saying that we are very old people, okay? And <laughs> we can remember a time too, when it was a hell no, of a lot worse. We were prejudiced. That, this is my point. Like, And the thing is, we grew up in a time of ex- like extreme prejudice because, as you were saying, in the 50s, there was no question of being against gay people because nobody admitted they were exi- they existed. Yeah. I mean, there and was Liberace, and it's like those those jokes you see now of why can't Liberace find the right woman, you know? Yeah. It's all these know. jokes we see now. And like, and so you would watch stuff where people were coded as gay, but nobody talked about it. It's like when I watch old episodes of the Jack Benny show, and like, there's the guy who is the character, who is the queen. You know, the guy with oh. the, the uh, and it's like, everyone in the audience knows what's happening here, but nobody would ever say it. And as I said, and in the 80s, you would get the documentary from Sault Ste. Marie that says, well, nobody, nobody really causes us problems. Yeah. You know, as long and as so, we don't talk about it. While we try, while we're trying to discuss this stuff, just understand that it is coming from a place of 
we didn't grow up with this. We came of a, we both came of ages at very different times, 30 years apart, but each were their own. Like it was incredibly hard to be gay and to talk about the whole concept of homosexuality in both of our youths in youths in very different ways. You had a complete cessation of any discussion. I had open hostility. Yeah. And it, it is, it is very strange. So like, as, like, but I'm just saying as us two straight cis white people talk about these <laughs> queer issues, please give us the benefit of the doubt as we get <laughs> stuff wrong. Cause we're trying our best. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it is strange. And I can remember just recently talking, Oh, recently within the last 10 years, I guess, or six or seven yeah, years talking yeah. about Eileen. It, it, I, I won't, I guess. And, and she had, she had a companion. Yeah. She was, she, and she was very involved in our church and the rest of it. And because the United Church was, um, and again, it's Sault Ste. Marie, nobody speaks about any of this, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, but, and I, and Bruce, and I can remember my friend Bruce, who's now rest in peace. Yeah. You know, um, you know, he, he had an uncle. Right, and his uncle had a lifelong friend. Yeah, and I just well, no, going, it's, well, it's Bruce, did you never think he was gay? Well, no, but it's the stuff that comes up. Like I can't tell you the name of my fourth grade teacher, but ever since I re- you know realized how the world works, the fact that like uh, that fourth grade teacher came back and mentioned to the class that it's like that she had gone for Christmas vacation with her roommate. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Like now, in retrospect, I'll always be able to remember that story. Be like, oh, okay, this stuff has always been around me. Yeah, Just it's always didn't talk around. about it because there was so much hostility. Yeah, and given the hostility that's going on in the United States, you can understand why people talk about it. I would never question someone who refused to, who kept like he always want like who went back in the closet today, or like decided to stay in the closet today. You're living in if you're living in Texas today, who, how could anyone blame you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so yeah, um, so this has been quite a tangent. Sorry about that. If you were just here to yeah. talk about uh, Wire in the Blood, the point <laughs> is, it's a great show that I think was doing the best it could to deal with time. some very sensitive issues at the time. Yeah. And today, it would have been more cleanly written, I believe. Yeah. Right. And it would be a better version, but I still think it's a very good episode. And I don't think it really falls into the tropes of being hostile and completely othering this trans character. And partly that is Tony Hill. Yes. That is Tony Hill. And that, that is, is how Tony, Tony Hill because everybody else, everyone else does, every other character. But Tony Even Hill now. is our, and that is the genius of the show. Tony Hill is our way into this world. Yeah. And, and so and Tony Hill's acceptance of this goes a long way. In the same way that, you know, Riggs's disgust at the concept of lesbianism is our our cue about how you're supposed to feel about that. How could we have possibly guessed that Mel Gibson was a scumbag? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right? Played one enough times. Enough times. Right? But in the same way... The fact that Tony Hill is our window into this world lets us know that we're not supposed to think of her as an a monster because she's trans. We're supposed to think of her as a monster because of her brutal actions, 
And if they had gone that one level further and make us think she's a monster because of the abuse she had suffered, then boom, you this would go from just a borderline show to just a straight show that is good that we can recommend wholeheartedly. And that is, that is, that's interesting because that would be partially a writer issue. Yes, it is. Um, that they couldn't come up with a way. Yeah, that they couldn't that. come up with that solution that I just came up with just now yeah. on, a and t- we on, a, on a, you know, show reviewing it. Yeah. And we can come up with that solution because things have changed in the last 22 years. Exactly. And they just, they didn't have that option and they didn't think of it. And it's ironic because now that we say it, it really is such a simple solution to solve that problem. Yeah. Yeah. It it would completely solve the problem if she had the scars too. Like there's there's your solution. The same scars. Yes. The exact same scars that she was putting on the guys with the cake tools. And that these cake tools she had kept all this time were the actual ones that her mother had used to disfigure her. Yeah. And, um, and I would say that, um, we can't give the same excuse, right? Yeah. To, um, uh, 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 we cannot give the same excuse. To Angel of Darkness, because that was no. 2018. Oh, no, no, no. Well, uh, no, no, no. There's, there's no excuse for what they did to Angel of Darkness. No, no excuse. No, there's no excuse for what okay. they did to that book. Okay, what I'm trying to do, figure out is when was uh, Mermaids... When was the book published? Well, yeah. I think, I think Google can help with that. Yeah, well, I'm just looking at... I, know. I, was, um, just being, I was just being a jerk. No, I'm trying to look just as we're talking okay. about it yeah. uh wire okay just a moment okay i've yeah. made the mermaids you just google uh, val mcdarmid uh bibliography and we'll get you there okay so we've gotten to 2005 okay so now i've got to go to this page go way earlier be weird if it turned out this book wasn't originally the first tony hill book and well, like, i can't yeah and they rewrote wrote it okay so i'd be interested if that was the case Okay, I'm going St. Martin's. Okay, we can we can also give McDermott a pass. Okay, when was the book? Okay, so yeah, it was a full it was a full seven years earlier. Yeah, I remember the state of 1995. I get it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah. Um, so yeah, he was he was all, not there yet. Guess what? And there's an extract which is never referred to. To the love, the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock. Really, huh. in the book, um, clearly interesting. Um, oh God, and that makes me miss my all the things I had to sell. Oh, jeez. Well, that's mind. a that's a conversation we're not bothering to get into. Today. No, no. Okay, but it's just I look at things and I go, Oh, I had a copy of that. Oh well, not only that, I had a first edition copy. Oh, I know the. Um, Oh, of the the other one, which of um, T. S. Eliot's the long one. Uh, um, the the wasteland. The wasteland. Oh, okay. Sweet. I had a folio of the folios. Oh, that's oh, incredible. Yes, right, but we're well, not gonna we're po- not gonna talk about uh, how academia keeps people in poverty now. <laughs> that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> 
that is not germane to the topic right now. Let's just say that. Uh, oh, uh, one thing, uh, a thing I didn't mention at all. Okay, uh, just completely, a completely passing thing that no other media would really get into for the longest time. Tony Hill plays video games. Yes, he always, he's always. That's how he relaxes, and that's how yeah. he thinks. He he sits down and he loads up Tomb Raider, and he just. He plays video games while he's thinking, and that's what helps him think. Yeah. Anyway, I... An interesting characteristic that is completely believable, uh, and I wonder (laughs) if it's from the book, because he's playing Tomb Raider 1 in 2002. Yeah. And I'm like, was Tomb Raider 1 specifically mentioned in the book? I wonder because 1995 or 96 is around when Tomb Raider, the first Tomb Raider came out. So I'm like... Well, guess what? What? We're going to have to read the first We're going to have to read this book at some point, aren't we? Okay. All right. So we have to get going. We do. We do have to get going. That's the end of it. Thank you so much for listening to us. Uh, First, give a very in-depth look at a a really good pilot of Wire in the Blood, and then talk for an extra half hour about... Other things. About, well, no, homophobia in the media and trans-exclusionary conversations. Yes. Uh, Thank you so much for putting up with us. We will see you back here Next time, for more Wire in the Blood, what we're watching episode two. Do you have a name for episode two, or should I look it up? Uh, do we have a name for episode two? No, I just... Yeah, I'm just going to look it up right now. Just loading up Prime Video. Uh, episode two. Time passes. Yeah. Wire in the Blood. Season one. Episode two is... Come on, give me a title. Shadows Rising. Okay, Shadows Rising, that's it. Shadows Rising is the episode two. And then there's only three episodes in the first season because, again, always remember, this is um, this is everyone's a film length. So they're just TV movies. Yeah. All right. So we'll see you back here for that. Uh, but until yeah. then, if you have any questions, if you have any comments, if there's any profiling-related fiction you think we should check out, Drop us a line at ProfilingCriminalMinds at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you have listened to this on an app or some sort of podcast, you be sure to rate and review. That's how more people find out about the show. We'll see you back here next time. But until then, I'm going to say that's right. Au revoir. And have a good week. Profiling Criminal Minds is a member of the Kinks Podcasting Network.